You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, folks, stick around after today's interview for a bonus segment with Luke Mihal, author of American Climber and friend and longtime supporter of the Enorma Cast. Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the Enorma Cast. And this year, Black Diamond is presenting The Rock Project, a dynamic program of outreach, media, and activism to bring climbers of all abilities and origins together to protect climbing resources the world over. Climbing is our playground, basically. And we use it, and we should treat it like we treat our house. Pienso que es importante para para disfrutar de la naturaleza con otros escaladores. This is awesome. This is connecting to the community. This is connecting to nature. Um, I want to go back to that every time. Minimizing your impact, having that be part of the conversation around climbing, along with this is the route I want to do. This is the gear I need. Understanding that I have an impact, that one person has an impact. There are a lot of climbers out there that. Care, but they don't know how to get involved. Easy way is to get involved with your local climbing organization and the Access Fund, who are working on a national and local level to make sure we can keep climbing areas open and conserve the climbing environment. Registration is now open for the Rock Project Tour in Raleigh, North Carolina, November 5th and 6th, and in Washington, D.C., November 12th and 13th. Go to accessfund.org or blackdiamondequipment.com for more information on how to register. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That side of town. Very That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is September 26th, about 930 Mountain Standard Time. It is not the dark time yet. On today's show, Colorado climber Rob Pism. The thing we end up talking about a lot is uh, the fact that Rob has sort of a full plate outside of climbing. He's a really excellent climber. He trains super hard. He does super hard first ascents. And yet he's got a couple kids and a full-time job and a wife and sort of family obligations as well as uh, some obligations to the community as a trainer at the gym, and he still gets it done. So all those people wondering how that works, you're going to find out actually that uh, it pretty much works by not being lazy. And uh, the rest of us who can't seem to make it all work, turns out we're just lazy, maybe. 
anyway, uh, that's what we get into on this one with uh, with Rob Pism. Not much uh, else to tell you about. Uh, I'm going to be up in uh, Wisconsin in a couple days, but that'll probably be irrelevant by the time most people hear this. So hopefully if you were there, we had a good time. You remember that? It was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. Drinking beers and hanging out, climbing a little bit. It was so cool. The one cool thing about going to Devil's Lake is I've only ever been there in the heat of summer. And the few times I've climbed there, I I actually wasn't a climber when I lived in Chicago. And uh, so I never climbed there sort of in my seminal years, but uh, had been there a few times while visiting family and such, but always in the summer. And I tell you, that rock is slippery, my friends. If you have not climbed there, which I would assume many of you listening have not, it's an iconic place in the middle of Wisconsin that has the slickest, I believe, quartzite uh, that I've probably ever tried to climb on. So hoping that the uh, that the success rate will be higher than it's been in the past without the crushing humidity, but there is the crushing baby fat that I have going on. So please, if you did see me climbing while you were there, while we were there, don't judge me. Don't judge me, okay? It's been a long summer. Lots of hiking. Lots of long approaches to nowhere. Literally. Like, we hardly ever get anywhere. There's very few trails where we don't just stop and turn around. Start going back before we've gotten even anywhere. I don't know where these trails even go because I don't get there. So, anyway, it's fun, though. It's fun. Don't get me wrong. Love it. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk talk to Rob. Hello these past few months, I've been trying to get you, the listener, to support the Enormacast by buying new climbing shoes from Sportiva. But I realize that many of you have some trod and true kicks, and they'll probably have to pry them from your cold, gnarled, calloused feet. But did you feel that chill in the air this morning? That coolness that'll start to draw the masochists from their dark, dry-tooling lairs? Well, Sportiva makes mountain boots, or if you're a Honold, cramp-on-ready sneakers to get you up the gnarliest, iciest project your semi-dormant limbic cortex has dreamed up over the happy days of summer. So it's probably time to start shopping for those if rock climbing is just too fun for you. And they've got trail running shoes for your pre-masochism masochism. So if you want to support the Enormacast, but you don't have any need for finely crafted, high-performing climbing shoes, then go check out their other wares. They've got boots for hiking, Ice climbing, mountain climbing, they've got shoes for running, for hiking, probably for dancing even, and rock climbing apparel as well. So go check it out, Sportiva.com or your nearest outdoor retailer, the Enormacast and Sportiva, like two bros in a bivy sack. So, cool. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, I, I've, been, I've been saving you, <laughs> Rob. Like Pizzo. a virgin. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Um, although, yeah, although actually we, we, we kind of had some heavy petting when I, um, when I, uh, had mine on in your living room. Yes. That was like close. That was like kind of getting close. But, uh, the truth is, is that I, I probably talked to you about doing this like, well, like four years ago or five. I mean, cause I think mine was in the first year. Yeah, and, I think so. Yeah. And so, but you know, I had this like thing where I would save local people and you're not exactly local. You live over in Grand Junction, but it's still a pretty close drive because at first I had like a lot of trouble lining up interviews. And so I figured, all right, well, if I, if I was hitting a deadline, then, 
you know, I've, I've got this guy like who lives here in town or you were like extreme emergency because I would have had to like go out to Grand Junction. But uh, and then once I got rolling to where I got I could get interviews better and faster Plus people cared. Yeah. And then you guys like you kind of have been stuck in the shadows now because there's a couple folks in in uh, in Carbondale like Michael Kennedy too, like who's like, I mean, I got to have that dude on the show. And yet. He's right there, and I still haven't done it because it, it feels like it's so immediate. But anyway, so I apologize, Rob. Although, are you going to accept my apology? I do accept your okay. apology. Okay. He you shook know, this, his this head. This is like a five-star hotel I'm in, yeah. and uh, I'm drinking lemon water. It's a fabulous experience Nice. Right now. Okay, good, good. The, <laughs> the, the uh, massage therapist is on her way, so yes. we'll get you relaxed. But, um, but we did have it scheduled, and you got sick. I'm gonna, do you remember that? No. You, you went home early from the show with the flu. Oh, dude, I got worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally went home. I didn't remember that we did have yeah, it. Yeah, we had it scheduled. So that, so it's not entirely my fault yeah. that it's been so long. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's always a pleasure. Anyway, so yeah, Rob Pism on the show. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing well. It's been another long day and ready to keep it going. Yeah, so you're, you're, you dropped into to, to the show for a day. Just a few hours, right. really. Not even right. a day. To, to just wheel deal, get your business done, and now you're heading back and you got to start school tomorrow. Yep, work starts tomorrow, but I still have to work at the gym, train people in the morning before I go to work. Okay, so keeps, right. I don't want to rest too much. Okay, yeah, so, so we're already rolling into our theme for today. So one of the things that I think, uh, I mean, people recognize your name from climbing, from various ascents, which we can get into, but I think what people maybe who aren't that close to you don't understand is that you, you are this guy who's created this like full life job, kids, multiple jobs, right? Jobs, kids, two kids. And you're also able to rock climb at a really high level, find time to train and apparently sleep. When I get lucky, when you get lucky and sleep. So let's just kind of, kind of roll, talk about your life. Like set us up like what, what uh what all the things you got going on are it sounds like i have to talk about myself i'd rather not but uh we'll go for it that's what we do at the normal yeah, cast this is the- <laughs> i know this is the first one i'll probably what do you know to. about michael kennedy <laughs> <laughs> he's rad uh so i'm a high school science teacher i've been teaching for 15 years i've kind of Hopped around. I've taught in Europe. I've taught in uh, the Front Range of Colorado, and I've ended up on the Western Slope in Grand Junction. In the meantime, I've really dedicated time to reaching what I like to say is my personal potential. I like to, I committed to, I like to, I think to think about 10 years of, I'm not going to get involved in a relationship. I'm not going to do anything other than focus on my climbing and do whatever my job is. And my job was teaching before, uh, before that I was an engineer. And, uh, once that got rolling, I learned how to train from a guy named Dave Wall, and um, as he kind of moved on in his career, I picked up the slack and ran training programs for folks. So then there was my first, second job. In the meantime, I picked up sponsorship through climbing just because I was doing the things I liked and people thought it was worth sponsoring me for. Right. Uh, I never sought it out. I never um, was, was sponsor-driven or anything like that. It just kind of was like, this is an opportunity because of whatever I'm doing. And, you know, I've always just chosen that line that inspires me. And for whatever reason, it's inspired other people. And, uh, so I'm teaching. Um, then I found, found the right woman and, uh, I married her 
right off the bat. Like I was like, today, tomorrow, we're going to do this. And uh, within a few months, we were married and working on that. And, and then a few years later, we've got kids. So I got teaching going on. I got, uh, you know, my wife, my children. I got a three and a five-year-old boy, two boys. Teaching high school. I run training programs at the local climbing gym. I run an outdoor program for uh, my high school students. And then, uh, you know, I'm going around the country and doing AAC events or other events for my sponsors, giving slideshows. Uh, and then I run remote training also, you know, from, from my house just when the time is right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I like to go bolt new routes, and I'm constantly trying to excel and, and push myself forward with the climbing. So it's, you know, I'm kind of juggling at least one or two balls. Right. Yeah. A couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean, in terms of excelling at climbing, like you're still setting goals, reaching goals in terms of your climbing, like what have been some recent goals set and reached, uh, even just in the last couple of years or the last few months? I would say I went through phases. I think initially for me, reaching my potential was climbing well at rifle for as I potentially as awesome as that may sound or as lame as that may sound. I was really into wanting to progress in rifle, but in the back of my mind, that progression was just leading me to go ahead and climb the routes I wanted to in Indian Creek, mm-hmm. like the hard crack climbs. Right. So by getting really strong fingers and getting good technique and climbing well at rifle, I went over to Indian Creek and I was able to climb the pitches I wanted to. That progression was then the progression to take me to climbing long, hard, big wall routes, which then you know, I moved to Zion and you know, anywhere else that was a large route. So everything has been a progression, and then I wanted to get well at roof cracks, so I spent time you know, working on uh, climbing roof cracks, and I spent time on off with. So each, I would say, as I've climbed over the past 20-plus years, I've, I've made a distinct goal of getting competent, when, and my definition of competent is, if I want to put a number on it, you know, 12-plus. I want okay. to be competent at every discipline, whether it's slab, or vert or overhanging or crack or off with or you know whatever Mm -hmm. and um so the routes that i choose usually are a weakness for myself uh, or i believe them to be a weakness so my goal is to increase my weakness to no longer have it be a weakness so then i can go out and do another long route and no matter what obstacle kind of presents itself that i can figure out uh, how to do it how to overcome it along with finishing the route Uh, so you know, I, I've never put up a big wall free route in the middle of winter. In this last winter, I spent the last six months, you know, from November to April, trying to do a new route in Zion, ground up when it was a north-facing wall. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we got frostbite on the wall, and, and, and it was just a journey. So maybe that one was one on suffering. You know, like right. my goal was to suffer more, <laughs> which I don't think many people sign up for that unless right. you're a mountaineer. Right. Um, so that, that's kind of how I approach things. I, I look at like the route that I'm working on now is really bad slopers. So I have a, a, a route that I bolted in Uniweep and uh, there's no good holds on it. So I'm going to really work on working on my open hand strength and my body position and, and those, those subtle things. So the success of me clipping the chains in the end when I do isn't so much about the route being sent. It's more about me showing the growth of accomplishing those skills. That's the way I approach things. Right, right. So are you running out of things? Am I running? Well, shoot. <laughs> like, there's, are you like good at everything now? <laughs> no, I'm, 
Well, I, I'm infinitely looking to progress. Right, right. So right. I'm, just I'm not saying that I'm good at everything because, man, you put me on a hard boulder problem and it's shutdown land. But that's one of the things I, I, I refuse almost to work on because of when I broke my back. Like okay. Landing on my back, trying hard boulder problems, even if it's three feet off the ground, right. two feet off the ground, is not something I'm willing to do right. anymore because I, I've been stuck in the bathtub. My wife has had to, like, help me. I couldn't get out of the bathtub before. Uh, we were on our honeymoon, and I, I seized up. She had to, like, carry me into a hotel room because okay. I couldn't friggin' move. Um, so if I'm not adamant about maintaining my physical strength through the circuit training and the other training that I do. Like I go down like a twig in a storm. Like it's, there's nothing left. So let's seg into that then. Cause you were, uh, we talked about that right before the show and I actually had kind of, uh, I had kind of forgotten about all that, even though I knew you and I knew it was going on and, um, but yeah, you broke your back. So let's talk about that accident in terms of, uh, when it happened, getting through it, and then uh, apparently you went back mm-hmm. um, to that route. So can you sort of give us the lowdown on that? So the lowdown, um, I was climbing a lot with Mike Anderson, and we were doing a lot of first free ascents in Zion, and it was just, if I had to go ahead and say a, a big wall free time in my life, it was the apex. It was, it was the balls, you know? Like Mike and I would pick a line, we'd work at it, and we'd do it, and we both would send it on the same day, and then we'd pick another one, and his wife was super awesome about letting us go, and I was single, so every weekend was on. And um, he had this, like, secret list that he never showed me, but I knew existed. And um, he's like, we're going to Yosemite. I'm like, okay, I'm in. And um, so Arcturus lies in the middle of Half Dome, and uh, he's like, we need to go do this or see if it's possible. So we took three weeks, and I think 2005 or 2006, I can't remember which one. So it was a previous aid line? Previous aid line okay. by Royal Robbins. Okay, right. And it started maybe 100 feet to the right of the regular route, and then crisscrossed where the bolt ladder is going on the regular route. Um, or you could go around and do that four-pitch variation. And then where the regular route went up the chimney, there was a dihedral that some people would aid, so there were some pins in there. Uh, and then Pingy into the or pendulum into the actual regular route, you know, a few feet. Have you done it? No. You've done, oh, you've never done the regular route? No, okay. I know. It's a huge hole in my resume. No, it's not. It's a turd. But anyway. Um, so instead of traversing into the regular route, you just stayed in that dihedral. And from that point on, it's, it's fabulous climbing. Like right. finger splitters forever. It's, it's amazing. It's really incredible. And uh, so we worked on it for three weeks the first year. And at the end of that first year, I had taken a job to teach high school in Austria. And so with about two weeks before school started, we were still finishing up the three weeks on the wall. We were basically living at the bottom of the wall, working four days on, take three or four days on, taking a day off, a day and a half. And then on the end of the second day, we'd walk back up. And we did this. We fixed lines for the entire wall. We had like eight sets of cams. We had the, the camp there, the camp down on the ground. It was just tons of work like 15 hour days regularly we would get down to camp eat food and not even talk to each other because we were so exhausted from cleaning and hand drilling and just figuring out the line and so at the end of that three-week period andrew burr's coming out he's like you guys done yet you know standard burr style and um so we knew what the hard pitch was and it was this um crack that pinched off in a dihedral and then went dead horizontal to the left and then it went dead vertical again 
and there was essentially no holds and like kind of voodoo moves and uh there was no crack it just was a seamed corner out so i had to put in you know hand drilled bolts in and there could you could bolt it an infinite amount of bolts but you just can't stop to clip them so i put in what was necessary not to die and uh you just climb until you almost got a place to clip and then you had to clip from that almost place because otherwise you would get hurt and uh so at the end of three weeks of work, up and down, up and down, up and down, uh, Burr's out there shooting. I'm leading the crux, and uh, the rope's behind my right leg. I'm kind of stemming out. I'm, there's, I'm on nothing. I'm holding on to nothing, and I'm trying to cross-clip. So my right hand's crossing underneath my left, and I reach the draw, and that was the end of my energy for the three weeks. So I took an upside-down, like, 50-footer back down to the belay. I protected my head, so I wrapped my left arm behind the top of my head, and then my right arm was the first to impact, my hand. So I broke my palm, my hand kind of there, and then I broke my L1, L3, L4 vertebrae, or the transverse processes, sorry, right off my back. Oh, um, and uh, in that moment, you know, I started, you know, I took the fall. I, I sat back up on the rope almost right next to Mike because he was belaying me, you know, right from, <laughs> I went back down to him. And um, I started, I was like, okay, I'll just sit up. And I was able to sit up, you know, in the rope and then, I, th- I said, I think I'm done for the day. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Mike's like, yeah, I think so. Or, you know, whatever he said, he's like, yeah. And I said, can I have my shoes? And then I went down to try to take my shoes off. And that was the moment that I knew I was hurt. Right. Like I knew I was stunned, but I knew like I was hurt. My back was hurt. And um, so Mike had to help me with my shoes on. And then because we had the wall fixed to the top, which was maybe 500 feet from the top, I had to jug up. And I was literally moving maybe three or four inches, my feet three or four inches up at a time. So then I was at the top of Half Dome with a broken back. And I had to walk not back to the camp at the base of the wall, but I just went straight back to the the car. So I had to do an eight-mile walk back, which was awful. Um, Fortunately, I just had like a tiny pack with some water. Um, and, and Andrew and Mike were doing whatever they needed to do to take care of stuff because I wasn't, I wasn't in a state to. So it was, you know, like a long, long, long eight mile hike. You know how big the steps are on the backside of Half Dome when you're walking down. There's, there's straight down stairways next to the waterfalls, and I was in pain, going through, you know, crying and not crying, so and it was, it was pretty rough. you concerned about like, you know, suddenly being paralyzed or anything like that? I mean, had you guys done assessments to what was wrong with your back or anything? Or, uh, I mean, what was the malfunction with no offense, but getting rescued? If I'm jacked, I'm going to go ahead and get help. But right. I was physically capable of moving. Okay. And, and I think one of the things that Anderson and I, Mike and I were, we were very self-reliant, you know, and it's take care of your business. Don't ask, you know, don't ask for help unless you really need it. And so, I mean, you they helped, you they helped, they it. helped me by okay. not making me carry anything. Right. Oh, that was uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, but, a, what um, a pal. What a couple of pals. So, yeah, they... Bert's like, hey, carry this lens. It's <laughs> super light. <laughs> but um, I, I didn't... I knew I was injured, but I was... You know, I was... How old? Uh, if I'm 40 now, and that was... So, 10 years. I was 30 years old-ish. Okay. Right? At that point in the game, I was invincible. Flat out. I wasn't hurt. I was sore, but I wasn't hurt. Sure. Like My hand right. hurt, but I wasn't hurt. My back really hurt. I couldn't bend down and tie my own shoes, but I wasn't hurt. So we were actually staying at Todd Skinner's house. That was the year, like he died later in the year oh. when he wrapped with his anchor, anchor or uh, harness failure thing. Um, so we went back to Todd's and I laid down for 
two or three days. And I got up and I could raise my foot like six inches. And I knew at that point that I was not invincible and that I was hurt. I was legitimately hurt. And, and that was the end of the trip. But to our dismay, there's 2,500 foot of fixed line on the wall, eight sets of cams, a full camp, you know, bear canisters, sleeping bags, uh, ro- all the rope and, you know, everything. So we had to get it back. So uh, I got to walk back up the eight miles. Mike went up the short way, and um, I took a lot of, like, you know, Advil or Tylenol or whatever, walked back up, and by the time I got there, which was not quick, Mike had already had a pack filled taller than me to put on my back. Because, again, we didn't know yet. I knew that I was hurt, but it's like, if I can move, how hurt am I? Sure. Um, And that was the most hellacious hike back down ever. I literally was, I fell on the ground. People had to pick me up. I was bawling. I couldn't get on the bus. Like, I was standing there in front of the bus driver when I finally got down hours later, and I just broke down in front of him. Right. Like, I couldn't get on the bus. And then we made the long drive back, and, and that night we stopped somewhere in Nevada, and um, I think we were in my truck. So, yeah, we were in my truck. I couldn't help put up the tent. Dude, and you're then, one stubborn motherfucker. And then, and then I was <laughs> Come like, on, man. I was like, I started crying again. I'm just like, I can't even help the tent, <laughs> and I gotta go. I'm, I'm moving to Austria to go teach at a premier boarding school in like ten days, or you know maybe it was twelve days or something. And I, I'm like, I'm screwed. Like, how am I gonna go do my job that I just am gonna start? And so I finally got back to the states, went to my um, my doctor, and they're like, No, you're fine. You should be able to go climbing. Like they did an X-ray, but they missed. They missed the shot or whatever. I don't know how you miss. And I was like, no, dude, I'm like, I don't want to brag, but I'm a professional athlete and I'm fucking hurt right now. And um, they're like, no, you, you should be able to climb. So I went to, uh, where did I go? I either went to Rockin' and Jammin' or Paradise, if Paradise was still open. And I was like, okay, we're flying back and I'm going to send this thing right now. Like I told Mike, the doctor gave me the gear, go ahead. And I went to Rockin' and Jammin' or whatever and I'm like, I tried to hand, do the hand crack and I couldn't. I was like, no, dude, I'm hurt. So then I went to another buddy of mine who's a Cairo, um, Dr. Scott Hahn, and I was like, Scott, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. And uh, he's like, well, let me take an x-ray. And then here you pull up the x-ray, and it's like you see the bone detached from my, from my back. It's like, okay, you are hurt. Like, this is why I hurt. Right, because two bones broken. floating in yeah. there or whatever. Yeah, Three. yeah. yeah. And um, so then I called Mike, and I was like, yeah, I am actually hurt. There's, you know, I got an x-ray, and you can see it. And... Uh, so that was that. So then I moved out, and I was just telling the guy that rode with me out here uh, kind of this story. I just moved to Austria, and I was living with Harry Berger. So wait, you it, just <laughs> went to Austria anyway? I, well, I, yeah, I had to. No, you didn't, but yeah, fine. Well, I'm a contractually obliged. Oh, I know, but so, <laughs> hey, I to, broke my back. Like. Before that, what's even funnier is Burr and I had a climbing trip The Austrians are <laughs> harsh, but they're not that harsh. <laughs> Burr and I had a trip scheduled for Austria. Okay. So he's like, I'm coming. He's like, you can walk. You can belay somebody. So um, <laughs> we went out there, and I was living with Harry Berger at the time. This was the year he died. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to, like, I brought a bicycle out there, and I brought my big, you know, I was living there. I'm, like, leaving the United States. So I had these big bags and boxes, and I couldn't lift anything. It was just, like, pushing it through the airport. And uh, So we got there, and, and I had to, like, go on a climbing trip and not climb. And in the end, we met some, we met some people I never would have thought I met, like 
Killian Fishberger went on a road trip with me and I couldn't even climb. I, I felt like a total chump. Right. Like, Dude, but I just broke my back. And they're like, oh, why can't you climb this 5'8"? You look eight? fine. You can walk. Yeah, you can walk. Yeah. So but, let me back up for just a second. <laughs> so you got this x-ray. Oh, there's bones floating in there. Didn't, I mean, was there just nothing to do about it? Yes, there was nothing to do. They just disappear. He's like, no, they were, so what was happening, he made me get another x-ray before I left. Mm-hmm. And he's like, your muscles are pushing the bones back into place. Oh, great. Like, not perfectly, but good enough. Because there, there's nothing you can do. Right. So the transverse processes are those wings on your yeah. spine, on your vertebrae, and that's what the muscle attaches to. And he's like, they're just getting pushed back in. It's wild. Um, so when I left, they were even closer than when they were there before. He's like, let's just, we got to just see what happens. He's okay. co- he said, you got to do a lot of strength and core strengthening and, you know, back exercises, because what's going to happen is you're going to create an imbalance and then you're going to hurt the rest of your life. Um, so I've, I've made sure that I've worked that out, you know, by doing the physical training to adapt to it. So you're in Austria. So I'm in Austria and, uh, we go on the road trip. I get back and work starts and it's like hellacious. I was teaching uh, two AP classes, science and, uh, AP, or, and then biology and chemistry and then a junior high science. So I was working literally from 6 a.m. to midnight every night for the first six months. And Harry Berger's like, I've never seen anyone work this hard. I'm like, one, I'm injured, dude. And uh, two, this is hard. You know, I was, again, telling Matt on the way here. It's funny we're having this conversation. But I had to do, I had to not only prep every lab, but I had to do every lab because I hadn't taught AP anything before I left there. I'd went to a training over the summer before I broke my back. And then, uh, you know, for the two classes and I had to do everything so I could answer. I had to do all the calculations and I hadn't done them in years. And uh, so it was hard. And in the meantime, as I slowly started to get better, Harry had a, uh, a room in his house that was literally like your hotel room here, floor to ceiling wall or uh, holds it all the way across mm-hmm. top, bottom, all walls. And he's like, this is where I dry tool. I'm like, it's like 10 by 10. And, um, He's like, yeah, this is where Kirsten does, and Inez, Papier, and, um, and myself. This is where we get strong. I'm like, are you kidding me? And uh, there's just some mattresses on the floor, and it was pretty hardcore. It was pretty awesome. And uh, I couldn't do any of the boulder problems in there that they had set or any of the stuff. And, but, you know, as I healed up through the months, I was able to go on a climbing trip to Spain over winter break. And uh, that was when I decided I was moving back because my dad had a heart attack, and I just was, I was crushed at that time. And... Uh, so I finished my contract out. I trained from winter break all the way back to when we got to go back to Arcturus. Like, so Mike and I were like, yeah, we're going back this summer. And in the meantime, we, uh, Mike Brumbaugh and I did a, a, a spring break trip to uh, Sweden. And um, I'm only telling you this because I was still messed in the head from the fall. Like I went sport climbing and I was okay. But um, when I went trad climbing in Sweden over spring break, I was freezing up over... Five nine, like I was not getting it done, and uh, I was really nervous that the so fall. now it's your head. Now it's my head. Like okay. my back was okay, I was healed up. I was then now just building my fitness, but mm-hmm. I did not have the mental capacity to go ahead and like lead over anything hard. Um, and these guys in in Sweden, my friend Jonas was uh, like, "Yeah, dude, I, I wanted you to do these kind of like head point routes and this cool stuff. You're badass American crack climber." I'm like, "No, I'm not really badass. I just, I, you know, I can get it done sometimes." And so I went there and climbed like five nine, five ten the whole time, and uh, I was like, "Oh my gosh, how am I going to go ahead and finish Arcturus when the crux is as hard as it is, and I know what can happen if you make a mistake?" 
And uh, so it was weighing on me. So I really trained and got my fitness level up those last few months before I moved back to the States. And, and when I got there, Mike and I needed to put another three and a half weeks into the route. Uh, and in the end, we finished it on a three-day push. And, and literally overcoming that, that pitch, you know, I didn't do it first try by any means. I, I had to work it. And um, overcoming that single pitch, like in whatever, a year later, 2007, was for me, I don't think I will or have done anything that is more significant uh, in my career. Like no matter whatever I put up, it doesn't matter. There's, there's nothing more than overcoming the fact that uh, there was a major head block for me to go ahead and try hard over the gear or even over the bolts for that matter, whatever. And um, that's where I have like this super confidence that I can really achieve whatever I want. Mm-hmm. You know, if clean the plate, or figure out how to do it with everything on the plate. Like I know I can achieve it because so of that. Can you? Is there any way to talk about like in more detail, like what you did to be able to do that? I mean, was was it just a matter of that you kept trying to climb a little harder and a little harder? Or, I mean, you know, you 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 like went from being freaked out on five nine to doing I don't know. It's probably what how hard is it five thirteen. Thirteen yeah, plus ish, right, right. maybe maybe the next number, yeah. but I don't like to say that number. Right. So, how did you get there? I mean, you, uh, know, you just kind of like there certainly was a progression, right? Okay. Um, I had a bunch of like big walls in and around Salzburg and the Alps that I wanted to go ahead and do, and, and some of them I wanted to onsite. And onsighting is different than red pointing. Onsighting is laying it on the line, whatever, whatever you figure out on the way you're doing, rather than the perfect beta. And um, I was able to on-site some of the, the harder routes, that I, multi-pitch routes that I wanted to, uh, which gave me confidence that I could go for it again. Um, Harry, before he died, he got me working on this one route at a, a local crag near his house, and I was able to accomplish that one, which when I moved there, I was like, you're kidding me, dude. And um, it was a hard route for me, and uh, it was kind of sportily protected, and, and so I, I worked at that over and over and over, and then, yeah, I dialed it down and I sent it, but... Uh, more so it was the fact of overcoming the difficulty and in, in doing that, it's a mental breakdown. One of the things I teach when I, and when I work with folks, when I'm training that practice doesn't make perfect, it's perfect practice makes perfect. So what is involved in perfect practice is not only the visualization of the execution, it's then executing it perfectly rather than just trying hard over and over the wrong way. You're not really doing yourself any favors. Uh, so that route was so technically demanding that Harry had put me on. Uh, it made me execute everything perfectly. And I knew that when you do it perfectly, that it doesn't matter where you're at, you're going to do it. Because um, you're, you're just executing it well, which is going to eliminate the, the level of having to max out. Like, I'm not maxed out because I'm doing this well. So if you're not maxed out, you're going to keep going. And if you keep going, you're going to get there. So my mentality always just as a climber has been i'm going to keep going but it was that fall and then the injury that came afterward was um that stunt it's kind of stunted it so right. it was a matter of you just kept going and then you fuck yourself up so yeah right so the the yeah the rule had failed you so <laughs> <laughs> but uh through through that experience i i kept up in the ante mm-hmm. and by the time i was back in yosemite i was in prime shape um I was literally, you know, everything needed to be worked on. Not only my cardio, not only my finger strength, but my core strength and in, in, in the head game. So all those things came together um, for the route. And, and 
for Mike to, to have it done. You know, he was, I was working in Austria. He was working in, you know, Colorado Springs getting ready for this thing. Two of us, we didn't have any, you know, we were a year apart. It's, it's like a bromance. And then we came back together and were able to put it together. And that was really rad. Um, which, which was also, cause I was, Oh, actually on the second day, I think I threw up the whole day too. We only did four pitches. Um, when on the three day push, we probably would have gotten it too, but I got heinous sick up there. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it, the mental game, I think I'm, I have a strong mental game and maybe, uh, maybe I can date it back to my days of being a, a high school golfer. Okay. Uh, in that, it, again, that's where I first learned that mantra. You don't go ahead and just beat your balls. You beat them perfectly. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good rule. But, that's uh, but, that's um, a t-shirt. There's a t-shirt in there somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, and um, once I could focus on the execution rather than the outcome, the execution became easier. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. if you, and this is something I work with with the, the people that I train in the gym also, or, you know, whenever. If we focus on getting to the next bolt, we've lost our focus on execution of the movement. Mm-hmm. If we focus on the execution of the movement, we're just going to, the bolt will appear before us or the piece of protection that you need to put in because we're dedicating everything we have to that rather than diverting it and separating it to like, where's the bolt? I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Now I'm scared rather than execute, execute, execute. So that's, that's kind of the way that I can get through things. Right. Yeah. And you sent that, you, you, you clipped that bolt. Yeah. And then just, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> yeah. I bet. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's very like what you're saying makes total sense. And then there's the obviously Act, the, living it. Yeah. Living yeah. it. And it's, I mean, to, to be, man, it would, must've been pretty wild to be climbing up towards that bolt. It was uh, getting up to there was really awesome. Like we had such a blast right. and then, but each pitch we got closer, it was like this door is opening. Right. And, um, so there was that self pressure that I put on myself because okay. We've worked on this for, you know, seven and a half weeks, almost eight weeks now. And, uh, man, this is it. We're doing it right now. What if, what if it just doesn't come together? And I tried not to think about that as much as you would want, you know, you, you end up doing, you know, you don't want to, but you kind of start putting doubt in and, um, you've got to execute, go back to it. And then you push out the doubt and then you, you take that fall. You're like, okay, I blew that sequence because I was so nervous and now, okay, nothing bad's going to happen. Lower me, let me pull the rope and give it another go. And then, uh, your comfort zone comes back and it's uh, just that that focus comes back. Well, it comes back for me because I make it come back, strangle it back. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually want to ask you a question that you, you, you sort of gave me a little hint. Um, but I kind of wrote, I wrote down while you're talking, like why climbing, why still climbing? Um, so you were a high school golfer, you said? Yeah, and that's love kinda, golf. I do. I love golf. That's funny because I always, I, I, that's like my go-to opposite of climbing, but not the activity, more the culture, um, you know, but so, and you grew up in like, didn't I get Northeastern some hint? Northeastern Ohio. Were, yeah, Northeastern Ohio. Okay. So um, let, give me just a little quick rundown of how you found climbing. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about maybe that philosophy of why it, it became your life. Uh, versus something else. Well, I, I I grew up doing 
what I think is normal, everything outside, you know, I was playing soccer, I played baseball, I was, uh, riding my bicycle through the woods. And when I got older, I was able to ride a dirt bike and I'd go hiking and I'd go camping and I'd go fishing every Sunday with my dad. And, um, you know, when I was four, I started playing hockey, ice hockey. And, uh, so I, I'd done things for a long time. I was, you know, fairly athletic. I, I liked what I did. I liked trying hard. I liked being a part of a team. Um, when I was a little older, I, learned golf and, and that was really fun. So high school just did golf, hockey, base or golf, hockey, baseball. And when I finished college, I didn't play my best in high school, but when I tried out for my college team kind of did poor on the first hole and then I did really well the rest of the round. And the coach says, yeah, you made the team. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Like I had, I, I'd learned it. When I say I'd learned it, I'd learned the mental I'd, I'd learned and I think I'd successfully handled the mental game. Not that I can go out and shoot a perfect round by any means at this point in the day. But um, I'd learned that how to control it, how to um, own my mind rather than letting it distract me and ruin the rest of the day. You know, because it literally was the first hole of tryouts. I got an eight, which is awful. And um, right in front of the coach. And then I had a, an amazing round the rest of the way. And it wasn't because I had an amazing round. It was because I mentally got there. And, um, so I like doing everything outside. Golf is outside, man, whether you like it or not. Um, and my first year of college, my brother had somebody at work say, Hey, you should come climbing with us at this local top rope area outside Cleveland. You know, it's 30 feet tall, sandstone, all Wacoed out. And I was and my brother's like, can my brother come? My brother's nine years older than me, eight years older than me. And, uh, he's like, yeah, sure. Bring him along. And I was terrified. Like, I'm afraid of heights really. Like, I don't like looking over the edge ever. I like climbing up, but I don't like looking over the edge. And, um, I went up and I was terrified. And then the lowering part was awful, but there was something I liked about it. And so after that, I I played hockey my first or my college years. But at the same time, uh, I knew that like this thing that I had done since I was four years old was coming to an end. I couldn't play full contact hockey anymore after college. Like it just, there was men's leagues and men's leagues didn't hit and it was kind of lame. And, um, so climbing had come in right at that time. It's like, this is a great way to go outside. Great way to do hiking. I like to hike. This is a great way to go ahead and, uh, um, be in the mountains this is a great way to see the most beautiful places on earth. And climbing is so, so much filled with problem solving, so much filled with that physical, like it's not going up and getting banged around on the ice. It's this almost the opposite. Cause if you go and try to bang it around, you're going to run out of juice when you're on those roots. And, uh, so it was this natural progression. So college was filled with either climbing or hockey. And then as the years progressed, it was just climbing, 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 and then hockey was done. And what was I left with that I really loved, that I was really passionate about? I was passionate about being outside and being with my friends and challenging myself, the mental side and the physical side. And, um, you know, after my first climbing road trip that one of my buddies, Lee, took me on, uh, I was like, this is it. This is where it's at. And uh, that's, that's where I've tried to follow through and pursue that. And you said you got a degree in engineering? Yeah, Sometime. I have a geological engineering degree okay. from the School of Mines. And so you, oh, so you went out to school in Colorado. Yeah, I ended up transferring out after okay. my first year. Okay, All right. Yeah, so for climbing. Not for climbing. Uh, I was bored at my college, right. the, where I went my first year, and um, one of my friends' moms was like, "Robbie should go to school." Everyone called me Robbie back home. Robbie should go to school of mines in Golden. So I went out and checked it out during the year, and I was like, <laughs> "Yes, I'm going here." Right. And uh, that was that. Yeah. 
Did you, um, so after college, did you, are you, were you basically full-time climber? Did you have, did you get a job and yeah, I graduated college in December. I went to Potrero for a month and climbed many of the routes there. And, um, like I burned through four pairs of shoes. I climbed so many routes. I almost climbed the place out in 99, 2000. And, uh, Came, Were you I hit, there over the new year? Yeah, I went and stayed with Kurt Smith during yeah. that bash. Yeah, yeah. I was there too. That was <laughs> that was a big uh, We got there right <laughs> right before the shit hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. The, to Kurt. Yep. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I got out of the taxi and Kurt said hey and you know, it was it was sweet. Yeah. Um I hitchhiked back and then started my engineering gig. And from day one of my engineering gig, I was like, I'm quitting in about two years. Did and you was, you mean you hitchhiked back from Petrero? Yeah. In Mexico. Yeah. Nice. How was that? It was it was a good adventure. Yeah. I mean, it it was what you'd expect. You didn't know what the heck was going on, and somehow I made it back. How's your Spanish? Limited. Okay. At best. <laughs> um, yeah, I got back and I had my date started, and uh, I was stuck in a snowstorm the night before my first. The way I was coming back, I got stuck in a snowstorm the night before. I, was, I called my boss up. I said, I think I'm going to be not here my first day. I'm still stuck. And uh, so I got back and I worked there and I knew that I wasn't ever going to go back and be an engineer, but I just stuck endeavor? it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was not into it. So I, uh, I just worked two jobs. I worked at a climbing shop, not full-time, but almost full-time. I did the engineering full-time and then I just saved everything for the climbing trip that ensued. And how so, long was that? Almost two years. Okay. Year and a half. Right. And then in that time, I did my soul searching. I was like, I, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I went through what I wanted to do. Right. And uh, no, just I, the other reason I laughed, I wasn't yeah. laughing at your soul searching. <laughs> the way you said it as if it was like, and that's and then, when I did this. <laughs> and then I set some time away to the side to soul search. Yes. Got that done. Check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of anal. And uh, <laughs> soul searching ends today. Hopefully, I found what I was looking for because yes. I have no more time for soul searching. Yes, I'm out of cash. Soul searching is now over. And um, by the end of that time, I was I was I had done lots of research. I talked to a lot of people, and I knew that teaching was my path. And then I went back to high or back to high school. I went back to college, got my teaching license and my master's, and have been a teacher for 15 years. Right, always and, uh, in GJ. No Austria, I did and then a couple years, three years in. Uh, well, six, seven, six years in the front range. Okay. Two different schools and then a year overseas and however many years fills the gap I over think here. I first talked to you uh, when you were either gearing up for Austria or were in Austria um, because I was sort of looking into that. I think that might have been yeah. the first yeah, time yeah. we ever talked. Right after, I bet you right after I got back. Yeah. And somebody, yeah, somebody put me in touch with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were, you know, you were a little lukewarm on it. Oh, I mean, I loved yeah. it. I didn't. Yeah. I tell people that I, I was living in dreamland. I was yeah. in Salzburg, Austria. Right. I pinched myself every day. I rode to okay. work on my bicycle. It was it was amazing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was just the like that you did talk about the amount of work it turned out to be. Yeah. It, well, that was one of the reasons when I went to the job fair to get the job. The, the headmaster said this would be the hardest job I ever took, and I said this is the one I want. Okay. Because I want to be able to when I come back to the states, I want to be able to laugh at whatever anyone asks me to do. Right. And I just want to cruise. Right. And of course, then I get bored, and then I put more work on myself anyway right right so and so had you know in terms of like this this uh i I mean i'm joking with you about like the compartmentalizing of all these sorts of no that's fine and um you know was 
was the getting meeting this person and getting married um, a surprise to you, or was that something that you had had thought like, okay, I, I'm going to just live this dream by myself and be a climber and you know just keep on this path, or or was it uh, was it something that you had thought like, okay, that's it's time for this, or more of it. Remember how I said I was going to dedicate 10 years of my yeah. life? We'll think about 22, 32-ish. Right. So I was about 32 at the time, and time was up. Right. Like, if I'm going to go ahead and, quote, become an adult now, instead of just focusing every weekend and every every second on climbing, um, again, some people may be offended by that, but, you know, if I'm going to grow up and, and take care of myself, you I mean, obviously I was working, but, like, be a part of the community in some way, you know, this was the time. And I was, I was ready to open myself up for a relationship, if you will. Okay. Like the doors were closed. The vault was shut. Um, up to that point. Up to that point. Right. And then I opened myself up and, and it was really awesome. You know, I met <laughs> Did Jane. you actually wear like a monastic robe some of the time? or Well, yeah. I, I, I had my hair really long <laughs> and I looked like a piece of garbage most of the time. Right. And I was dirty and didn't shower that much. And I didn't care because it didn't matter. Right, right. And... Um, yeah, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, your first impression is your first impression. Mm -hmm. If you look like shit, you're a piece of shit. Right. So you had your own birth control rolling yes. along. Yes, so Perfect. there wasn't anything happening. All right. <laughs> I want to talk to a little bit about your um, training. And also, you know, again, what we started with was this guy who's got all these balls in the air. So mm -hmm. maybe we could talk a little bit about that, What? how you how you manage and if there's anything, any advice you can give and, and pull it out of your training advice or anything like that. So. Sure. So for now, unless I'm focused on a goal, I'm just doing maintenance and I really don't care where I'm at. And in terms what, of climbing. Yes. So uh, maintenance means <clears throat> doing uh, two circuits a week, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning at uh, 6 a.m. I run a training program at 5 a.m. and then I run another one at 6 a.m. that I actually participate in at the local gym in Junction. And um, then hopefully I get out once a week or I get a treadwall session in, at my house. And that's literally maintenance. That's it. So it's nothing crazy. I'll do maybe a four by four on the treadwall. And my training at the gym involves fingerboarding, campus boarding, and using the systems board. And then sometimes, and then always um, strength conditioning for my core. Because again, if I let my back slack, then I'm in trouble. I let those low back muscles go. And that's, that's what it takes. So because I have kids and because uh, I don't want to go ahead and train after work when I could be spending time with my kids, I make sure that I spend it with them after I spend the time with them after work and I do the training before they're awake. Okay. So for me, the only way I could fit in trying to maintain climbing was to not take time from my family. How could I take time away from 24 hours uh, was to do it before when everyone's asleep. Okay. When do you sleep? I put the kids to bed at 7.30, which people are like, really? Yeah. Um, no, I, that, that's, that's not that unusual. And um, typically, uh, if I don't have anything to do around the house, I'll be to bed by 8 <laughs> to 8.30. And if I got a lot of balls rolling, then I'm up as late as it needs to right, be. Right, right. But hopefully I'm in bed by 8, 8.30. So okay. if you call or text me, there's no chance I'm going to be answering like after that hour. Because that's the, that's the golden hour where... I catch up and survive. Uh -huh. And you've got like teaching fairly like on the, uh, on the autopilot or, I mean, cause I remember when I was teaching like, yeah, then there's all that. 
too. Yeah. So after I finish training, I go from five to seven. I take a shower at the gym and I go straight to school. And, you know, I work there till three and then I go pick up the boys, play with the boys and then, uh, you know, hang out with my wife and kids till it's bedtime. And the teaching portion, uh, if I was in the same school I started with, I would have quit already. Probably gone crazy because most folks, the curriculum doesn't change, right? You taught. Mm -hmm. And how boring is that? It's pretty boring. And I teach science, so I teach all the different subjects and, um, where I'm at right now at an alternative school, I have the flexibility and the leeway to integrate everything in any way, shape, or form that I like, uh, or that not so much that I like that will be meaningful to my student body. So what does that mean? There's no textbook. There's no curriculum. There's what's necessary, uh, and that's based on what does my student body need. So it's an interactive class. At the beginning of the year or the beginning of a session, we find out where we need to go, and then we go there. And then I pull out what is necessary from there. So it's not stagnant. There's not, there's never a repeat. I can't go back to my old notes. There are no old notes for what they're going to ask for because what they need and what they, uh, where their, their goals are, are constantly changing. So it's really a weird place to be like, yeah. So I have no script. There's nothing I can fall back on. Uh, and every day or every session I create new. So how do you do that? Like, I mean, are you just so practiced in it that that you can improvise what needs to be done? It just sounds like uh, it sounds like a massive amount of work. It's a lot of work, but it's because it needs to be done that way. I, I feel I feel that if the kids get what's rehearsed, they don't give a they don't give heads or tails for it. Okay, um, they need to see that it's genuine, that it's real, and uh, that this is how it is. So yes, is it work? Yes. Uh, my master's is in curriculum development. So that's writing this stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I happen to be good at anything, I'm really good at creating a well thought out, uh, progression of learning. Okay. And, uh, it's definitely one of my strengths. So can I do it quickly, more quickly than others? Yes. I definitely, I enjoy brainstorming those ideas with other teachers and, and boom, it's there. I can execute it. And uh, it's cool. And we see those, we see students learning their learning or meeting their learning objectives, moving forward with, if you want to say the standards um, and, and getting where they need to be. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what counts. And I, I, a book doesn't take you there. Right. Your interest in when you're interested and your motivation takes you there. Uh, so it's a different approach. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to work at a school where it works that way or it can work that way. So, I've been like, I've been, I, I was thinking like, okay, so we'll get like some, you know, we'll have Rob on and he'll tell us like some pearls of wisdom about like how to do all this stuff. But I'm kind of starting to feel like, like you can't help us because <laughs> we're not like you and, and we're going to have to be like you if this is all going to work. You know, like I want you to tell me how it's done, but basically you're basically saying that like I am some sort of preternatural freak of nature that that can do this and unless you just come in like no <laughs> I, I appreciate the compliment <laughs> no, i just called you a freak of nature i know i like it okay. um no i, I mean, do, you, do you understand where i'm coming no from? I'm I, I hear like, what you're saying you're like, like dude well, when do you you're like so i just have to like never quit 
and really work hard and, and walk the hard hill and, and not and just, sleep and not sleep. It's not so much that no, I, you do sleep. I, you just I have go to, to sleep do, really early. I have to sleep. Yeah. While it's still light out. Yes. <laughs> um, unless I'm on a big wall epicing. Um, it's planning is the key. Ultimately you're dad now. Um, if you don't plan, nothing happens, mm-hmm. nothing happens and you don't achieve where you want to be. You're not happy. Your partner's not happy. Your kid's not happy. Uh, so, you know, my, my plan, the regime is like, like I said, uh, those two days a week, I get my training in, I work in the mornings before I go to work. And then, uh, in the afternoons with the exception of Tuesday, where I work all night at the gym, teaching folks, um, is all family time. And in that time it's dedicated to family. When I'm at school, I'm doing, I'm fully dedicated to school. So I guess you're painting right now. When you're painting, you can kind of think about stuff, but when you're doing trim or finishing a room and you make that mistake up top, it's when you're not focused on it, right? So my advice is whatever you're committing to, whatever you're, you know, whatever the moment is, is commit to it and you'll do it more efficiently, more effectively rather than what we generally do. We zone out at work. We check our instant everything and you know we're distracted constantly rather than having that focus uh so planning and focus and then always i don't train just to train i train to maintain my my back health uh, and and when you're looking to achieve something climbing wise or whatever um, there has to be that goal and then there has to be a regimented plan that you follow and as soon as you stop following it the results are not guaranteed Mm-hmm. And I like to go ahead and stack the deck in my favor because I don't have time, as you say. I don't have time. Okay. So your other your partner that you were on a, a bunch of the stuff we've been talking about today is Mike Anderson, and he he's the author of a training book. Yes. And uh, I haven't read it because I need I need to do things like that. But uh, I'm, that's why I guess I'm so confounded by you. <laughs> you, I'd be like your your slovenly brother that you wouldn't have any time for um, if we were related. But um, but yeah. So I mean, it sounds like maybe this guy was also like the perfect partner for you. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, so like, regimented. Yeah, very task oriented. And he was a military guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he's just, yeah, like that. So you guys like found each other in the night. It was at at exactly twelve thirty, which you had planned it, for your ships to pass at that very moment. <laughs> ahead of time it it was amazing mike was actually working on the low route because i don't know if you remember when he got the first free ascent of that in zion Mm -hmm. um and i was going down there to do a big link up of a bunch of big walls the same weekend and both of us got rained out so we ended up in this in the utah hills in st george Cragen. and i was like well if we can't climb a big wall i'm going to climb every route on the wall and just go down the wall bam 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 and we finally ended up he was coming doing the same thing from the other direction (laughs) and you guys met at the like the very middle of the wall and you just locked eyes and we're like what are you doing what are you doing yeah so we met on the wall and uh you know at the base of the crag and Oh, what were you? Who are you? Uh, we're up from Salt Lake. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, we were in Zion. I was like, oh, yeah, we were in Zion today this morning, too. And uh, what were you doing? Oh, I wanted to do this link up of whatever. And my partner and I were like, oh, he goes, oh, you like to climb in Zion? We need to get your number. Okay. So that was. Because he was it. climbing with his brother, right? With his wife. At oh, the his time. wife. Yeah. But he does climb. Don't, does he, he, had, a... he did climb with his brother right. quite a bit. Okay. And yeah, they're so, both crushers right at on. this point. So can I ask you a difficult question? Yes. Have you like, have you burned out partners? I'll say that like climbing is a progression Mm -hmm. from uh, one particular style to another. 
I've gone through partners in that way. Okay. I haven't burned out of them. Sure. But I've... I mean, I, that it, has a negative context. And, it I, does. and I guess I, I, it, I'm actually implying a slightly negative context. Have you ever just like run them ragged till yes. they're like, I can't climb with you anymore, Rob. Yes. Sorry, I'm done. Yeah. And I've also... Uh, yeah, I have. And, and that's fine. Yeah. Because there's unfortunately... Or there's fortunately somebody else. Right, right. And... and What's great about that is I get to meet I get to meet and know and put my total trust in somebody else and and, and get to build that relationship again, right. which is really mm-hmm. really awesome. And that's one of the incredible things about climbing is that relationship between you and your partner. Like Matt and I, who've been going out, we've just been going through this. We're learning about each other and trading stories and learning each other's style and 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 how that works and building trust and confidence. And that. That's what it's about. Right. Like this is this is half of sending is me trusting him or me trusting you, because I refer to the list as my partner list. The list is short, right. and you're off the list way easy. Right. Like if you don't call, you're off. You're done. If you don't text me, you're gonna be late. You're off. I, I don't have time for you. Seriously. Right. Um. If you, yeah, those are basically the big ones. If you go ahead and give a shitty belay that's going to endanger me or yourself, you're off the list. Right. If you're belaying sitting in a lawn chair, you're off the list. Like, so if I just see you belaying in a chair, you're off the list. So I, my life is very valuable to right, me right, right. and my family, and uh, it's not going to go. And you know, I'm going to control that decision. I have the active choice of climbing with who I want, and you go ahead and it's more of you burning it by your behavior, not me. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to follow through with me saying that. So right. when you're right. off the list, you're off the list. Right. Is there? There's no. There's no apologizing and getting back. No, it's not. List. No, you're you're a fine person. I'm just not going to trade belays with you. You're not going to be scheduled to go do a trip with me because I can't trust you anymore. Is and Burr that, still on the list? Burr is always on the list. Oh, see, come on. Burr's he hasn't reli- ever broken one of those rules. No, he's reliable. He's okay. as reliable. He's an A teamer. Like right. I want him to save right. me. Yeah, he's there's there's a few people that are A teamers that are go to A teamers at any time of the, my life. Uh, and Burr is one of those guys. Man. Ari Manitoba is one of those guys. Mike Brumbaugh is one of those right. guys. And then the list is over. <laughs> so that's in, in Matt. Matt's getting... He's on he's, probation. He's, he's trustworthy. Right. He's, yes. on, he's on the bottom. He's like on the under the, the, yeah. the low list or something. Is there well, like he, a... he's, he's on the acceptable. Okay. Yes. Nice. <laughs> he, he's sitting in the studio right now. Just... Like if I could know. <laughs> yeah, he's actually sitting in the room. Gentlemen. We're talking about him. He doesn't have a mic. <laughs> no, like I oh, wouldn't cool. be climbing with him if I right. didn't trust him. Right on. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's it. All right. I'm so going to have to... Is this something you lay out ahead of time with people pretty clearly? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. I, good. I let everybody know. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you, you know, we, we walked into that because I just, again, I'm like starting to feel this like, okay, you know, we, there's no fucking around. Like that's kind of your thing. Like you're there. No you room. found it. You figured right, it out. Right, right. That's the secret. That's the secret. We did it. <laughs> but, we but, got to the end. But we, we have a good secret. time along yeah, the way. Right. You certainly can laugh and tell dick jokes all day long. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dick jokes are okay. All right. Cool. Uh, well, right on, Rob. Well, thanks a lot for sitting down, and uh, well, you you actually did get us to the secret. The secret, yeah. There I, it is. I think. Well, I, I wish I could name <laughs> the episode that, but I, I don't think I want. I don't think I actually pressure. Yeah. So sounds good. But thanks a lot for sitting down. I'm glad we finally did it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, it's been an insight into who you are, uh, for me because again, you are. Even though I know you sort of, I mean, we're acquaintances, friends. We have not climbed together. I I have not put my time into 
to, to get on the list. But, but you can be on I the can list. Try. You're, you're not off the list I because I have you're automatically garbage. On. Yeah. Okay. I, you're on the list until you do something right. to remove yourself okay, from the good. list. But uh but yeah, so it's it's kinda cool because uh, you know, I am a new dad and you've you've dialed it in. I've seen you rolling through rifle with the kids and so uh it's a bit of an inspiration to me. Um and yeah, I'm gonna have to focus a little more. It's basically what I'm looking at. And I, I feel it, you know, I feel the scheduling thing like I, I definitely feel all these things that you're talking about as we're as we're rolling into uh, into having a kid and uh, getting through the summer and doing some climbing with them. So mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's fun. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for sitting yeah. down. Thanks. Have a great day. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Rob Pism for sitting down and squeezing me into his extraordinarily tight schedule. Very tight. He was uh, he was up at the trade show for a day and uh, beat in the carpet and managed to, to fit one in with the Enormous Cast, so that's awesome. Thanks to Rob. I kind of felt a little like uh, I felt after the Randy Levitt episode years ago when um, I just felt like maybe I'd wasted most of my life doing nothing, sitting around. I uh, had nothing much to show for it. But, uh, but thanks to Rob for sitting down, giving us a few tips. Uh, just don't be lazy, essentially. Just get it done. Sleeping's for fools. Or go to bed at 8, whatever it takes. All right, folks, my usual spiel here. Please consider checking out the Help Out page on the Normacast website at normacast.com. See what you can do to help this thing out. Add a review over at iTunes, like the Facebook page, whatever it takes. Uh, I occasionally put my proverbial foot in my mouth over there so it can get kind of fun on the facebook page every once in a while if i've been drinking also remember to support our sponsors they of course do not support the enormacast just out of the kindness of their hearts they hope to get something out of it namely your business so please help out the enormacast by supporting those folks all right great time to be a climber in the united states at this moment the fall Late September, early October, it's pretty much nice nearly everywhere, except for high, high in the mountains. Maybe get a little snow lately, but man, this is the zone. This is the time. So get out there. Of course, check your knots. I just read about a horrible repelling accident. Knot came undone somehow. Slow down for a second, do it right, and check it. Then check it again. You kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're probably going to find out as you go out there that you're not going to amount to jack squat.
Yo, what up? Hey, how's it going, Luke? Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. I've been epicking with my baby um, all evening, but, uh, you know, he's a little bit uh, upset because he was at Grandma's for the last week in Wisconsin. Now he's back in Colorado, so I don't think he gets it. He likes the Colorado or the Midwest better? I, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to find out if he gets back in tune here or not. Maybe we'll just have to send him to Grandma's house permanently. Um, but, yeah, he, he's. I think he might be a little, like, even with just the hour time difference, might be kind of fucking him up. But, anyhow. But, yeah, I was calling to uh, see how your book sales are coming, dude. I mean, did you get the normal zombie or what? You want like a cut or something? What is this? No, I'm just cut. You know, no, you, you know, we're we're all even. We're all even, Stephen. We're you know, we're we're mutually supportive of one another. We just basically we are. like, yeah, like we donate. I give you twenty bucks for something on some donation, and then suddenly you give it back to me. And, I don't know. But I think I'm ahead right now, though. I'll be honest with you. I think I'm. I'm. Uh, I think I've gotten more out of you than you've gotten out of me. But that's what I was wondering. Has it worked at all? Yeah, it's, it, things are going great, man. Things are going great. People are reading the work, and I think that's really all you can ask for as a writer. Uh-huh. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, it's a memoir, and I, for some reason I thought you were a lot, lot younger than you are. But uh, Yeah, I'm I'm 37. I'll be 38 yeah. shortly. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. I guess it's just... It's just been, uh, I don't know why it seemed like you were younger than you are, but I guess that's been like a running theme in my life for the last, like, I don't know, few years. So it just must be because I'm getting so goddamn old. But, but yeah, because when I first was like, oh, you wrote a memoir, I was like, that's, you know, that's audacious. Like, <laughs> this motherfucker doesn't have enough material for a memoir. <laughs> I mean, the dude puts out a zine, and it's like, yeah. the thing's like, you know, a quarter-inch thick. But uh, so anyway, that's kind of what I want to ask you, like, was there any sort of uh, consternation in your mind of like, hey, am, am, is my life story ready for print? Yeah, I mean, I thought I was going to write a novel, and then I actually learned what a, a memoir was. But um, I mean, I think I, re- I wouldn't have had a memoir at, at the age of 37 or whatever if I hadn't have been through some tumultuous things that happened to me in my youth, you know, just kind of like getting super depressed and suicidal in the Midwest, and then what kind of came out of that was what I think is in the book. I mean, you've been writing sort of very personal stuff for a while. We joked on your Norma Caster interview about, about the too soon poetry. Um, oh yeah. Which was, which was when, when, when a guy gives, gives poetry to a girl who's not really expecting it or doesn't think of the relationship as serious enough to call for poetry. Um, Cause that's a big move, but, uh, but and I still, you know, I still write poetry, you know, I just write on time poetry. Now. Oh, right. Perfectly yeah. timed. Perfectly yeah. timed. Sorry. <laughs> that's, a, that's what 37 years of maturity gives you. <laughs> it's better timing. But anyway, you're a reflective guy. You reflect, uh, in your writing. It's, it's a lot of it is, you know, very personal or at least like a twist on some personal stories. Um, but still was there, uh, was there, concern in your mind or, you know, about revealing, you know, what what ends up being some pretty heavy stuff, as you said. It's like much of the first, well, all the book, but, all, but the first half in particular is just about a lot of depression and, and really almost dumb decisions and drugs and, you know, it's a lot. It's very revealing. Were you ever worried about that? I completely was when it came out and... Uh-huh. Um, it, the reaction has been completely the opposite. I think that people really crave that, like, real-life shit, 
I think that I really felt like I got embraced by people who read it, and it was more like my true story I have um, than some of my just other shorter writing, you know. And my mom and dad read it too, which I think my mom's reaction was the one I was concerned about the most because mm-hmm. there's just like I come from a conservative Catholic family in the Midwest, and mm-hmm. I was uh, you know worried about her reaction, and and I think she's just happy I'm alive and. And she read it, and she would have to go on walks. She'd be texting me. She's like, well, you almost just died again in this story. And she didn't know. I mean, you don't tell your parents, like, when you almost die climbing. Like, you don't just bring that up at, like, Thanksgiving dinner, you know? I guess did they have some uh, inkling of the of the trials you were going through kind of before you became a climber? A bit, for sure, yeah. But they didn't realize, my, like, my dad said he never realized how depressed I was until he read okay. my writing. And it's like... I'm pretty close with my parents for, you know, them living in the Midwest and me living in Colorado, but for him to never even know that, like, I was, you know, super depressed and, you know, suicidal is, is pretty profound, you know? Did you, I mean, have you guys, like, you know, kind of casually spoken about it or, or has this gotten, you know, to where you've got, where you've had deep conversations now about it? Not really, no, because, you know, the the Midwest thing, I mean, you're from the Midwest, people just yeah. don't, aren't open, you know, I think right. I learned been when I like moved to Colorado and um you know met climbers and hippies and stuff but I don't I really think the Midwest culture is like a very open culture you're kind of taught to keep things in and not talk about a wide variety of topics you know and maybe mental health is like one of those you know you know and I think too it's a bit generational you know if, if you know you're 37 which puts your parents probably uh fair, fairly younger than mine but but maybe not too much because um, my parents have me really young, but I suppose you're yeah, so, too. So did mine, if, yeah. they're, if they're Catholic, I assume they, they must have yeah. had you young <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yeah. But still, I mean, it is, especially in the Midwest, it's like, you know, kind of stoic generational thing, too, to just uh, just grin and bear it, you know. And Catholicism, too, yeah. Yeah, you deserve <laughs> you deserve whatever hardship you're getting. So just yeah. fuck it up. <laughs> it's something you did in your past. You've masturbated way too much. Now you're now you're getting getting your just reward. But um, um, yeah, and I also kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about like you know the the dirtbag thing plays big not just in in the book but also in kind of the climbing zines media and and you know you you also just released released a film what was it called exactly something about the dirt bag last thoughts in the dirt bag it was uh kind of in the same lyrical style as last thoughts on what he got through you by uh, bob dylan so and that's out there now too so tell me a little bit about this like mythology if, if it is or or what these thoughts are that that have, you know, sort of bring you back to this idea, this symbol over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to try to capture the dirtbag era of, like, the late 90s and early 2000s, you know, and I think things kind of changed after that once everyone was walking around with the smartphone. You have Mountain Project and all these things, and mm-hmm. um, you talk about that a lot in the show, too, um, but I just want to capture that era, really. I didn't really... I mean, I'm still, like, whatever dirtbag, like, throw the word around or whatever, but I just wanted to capture... Mm-hmm. The, the that era and like I never even heard the word dirtbag back then and uh, I really wanted to capture like the Gunnison dirtbag too because it's a, such a quiet scene up there in Gunnison, Colorado. You know where we originally met and where right. I, where I college and uh, I just wanted to capture that real simplistic kind of real dirtbag lifestyle. Um, just kind of put it on paper, you know. Yeah, I mean I think it is sort of a it's like that thing where 
people outside looking in don't quite maybe get it and what it means and you know like I said like what the difference between a dirtbag and a homeless person is you know it's 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 quite a bit different and you know obviously a lot of times especially with climbing dirtbags it's a choice that that has been made you know versus some sort of circumstances that have ever run you down but um but yeah I think it's I, I think it is something that I, don't, I can't tell if it's really going away or if it's just a little bit more hidden in between the lines now you know what I mean it's just different it's evolving and um I just as as far as the myth mythology goes too. I mean, we I, I think it's like a generation. Every generation like looks back in the generation before, kind of starting, you know, mm-hmm. like John Alate and, and Yosemite. And I think the mythology of us is like Yvonne Chouinard and like Royal Robbins and those guys, and um, and even the Gunnison guys like Tom Pulaski or like Jim Niger, like people that people haven't heard of a lot or Jimmy Dunn or whatever. Like, um, yeah, I, I think we, we kind of look at that previous generation like, whoa. So I think that the generation now might even just be looking at like the late nineties, early 2000 people. Like there wasn't a big like paved parking lot and super crack buttress. Yeah. Know? Right, right, right. Yeah. So as, as people have been reading this book or it's gotten out there, or even just the climbing zine, have you heard from, uh, people, uh, you know, either who who longed to do the same thing you you did and get out of whatever thumb they're under in a non climbing place, or uh, or other people that kind of went through the same things you did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of it's I get a lot of uh, feedback from it, but I, none of it's really kind of what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah, people are like reading it and enjoying it and and saying nice things, and I mean that's kind of like the coolest thing ever is like when you inspire someone. So. But it hasn't been on any particular tangent of like, oh, you know, I'm going to quit my job and do this thing. It's just people appreciating the work. Like my friend's mom's like reading the book and stuff. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it's just, just totally random. So I don't. it hasn't really fit a mold of the feedback at all. It's just been – it's been good that people are, are reading it and enjoying it. And like I'm off on a road trip and then I, you know, come back and check my computer and sold a bunch of books. And it's just like, you know, living the dream. Cool. Yeah, I, I, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I mean, it's, it probably is not getting um, as widely outside of the climbing circle yet. Uh, but once that happens, you know, I, I, it's definitely going to inspire somebody. And then you're going to be responsible for that, which which occasionally happens to me where I get some email where somebody's like, I'm quitting my job and hitting the road. You yeah, know? yeah. And I always uh, email back, like, that's awesome, but don't blame me, you know, when you're under a bridge, like, with, you know, three manky quick draws to your name and you're just, like, <laughs> mumbling beta into a tree stump or something like that. I had nothing to do that with that. Well, you've got, like, groupies and stuff now. Or not really groupies, mm-hmm. but fanboys. You have fanboys. I definitely have. I don't um, really want that. I don't really want what you have, man. No, you do. You want you want earnest young men to uh, to be following your every move. But there's you do. It's like, awesome. I hear people talking about the Enormacast all the time, though, with the crag and stuff. And for a while, that was like my biggest claim to fame that I'd been on the Enormacast. I kind of like resented you for it. Enormacast. Before I got the climbing scene, I'm like, goddamn Kaluz. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I know we've sold some climbing scenes together, though. Come on. It's absolutely happened. It's absolutely happened. So yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for the quick chat, and uh, I hope I hope it really gets out there. Like I said, beyond the climbing community, um, and does sort of open open some kids' eyes or young people's eyes about like the possibilities. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, and I just think, I mean, like, going back to dirtbagging and stuff, it's just, like, it's just so easy to just pull out a screen and look at it at any point now. And I think that, like, something, like, climbing, like, gets our mind away from that whole world. And it's, like, it's kind of, like, encroaching on everything. And uh, actually, Serena Lee, this this writer out of Denver, wrote a piece for the next scene about, like, technology and climbing and how climbing is, like, one of the pure activities that you're, like, not looking at a screen, <laughs> Yeah. You know? I think there's something like kind of powerful for that that will definitely hold true for like the next generation coming up in the game, you know? Yeah, well, awesome, Luke. Um, good luck, and uh, uh, we're looking forward to the next zine coming out and uh, the perpetual, the Normacast ad that goes in it. Yeah, now. yeah, it's a beautiful. It's like old school now. Yeah, I know. It's kind of yeah. funny. It's, it's a bummer because uh, because I think I like. I think I nailed it off the bat, and now it's like when I sit down to maybe replace it, I'm like, I can't come up with anything better than that. So um, hopefully people enjoy it and enjoy that next issue coming out. Word. All right, well, take it easy. Thanks, Chris.